All right, go ahead and turn to Romans. Uh, before we get started, uh, next Sunday I will be gone. I'll be leaving Friday to head towards Houston. Um, I've told uh, Stacy that it, no matter if I have a hundred seizures this week, it does not matter. She used to put me in the car Saturday. She used to drop me off at the Toyota Center in Houston, and on Sunday at Minute Maid Park where the Astros play. For Sunday, because I'll be there for wrestling events Saturday and Sunday. So on Sunday, Stephen is going to be in charge. So um, he, uh, so just be here Sunday. Be here to support uh, whatever he does. I'll be there. I'll be obviously here Wednesday. I'll be leaving Friday. Be back Monday. We'll be leaving early Monday morning, and to to come back. So then next Wednesday will be everything will be fine for that as well. So that's where I will be. Probably do. Um, Probably a lot of recording uh, during the week, so there'll be plenty of things to uh, to choose from and to listen, and then whatever happens here Sunday. But please be here if all possible. All right, let's go to Romans. I'm trying to avoid this, right? Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three. Um, I have I have notes, but I'm throwing out the notes. Um, I don't. There, there are sections in Scripture that you come to that you, you, you can feel guilty by because you know that this is like a, a major important part of Scripture and you should be excited to teach it, but I'm having a hard time wanting to teach this section because um, every, every way I've tried to come up with to present this, I'm not happy with. I'm not happy with. And I've, I've read, I don't know how many commentaries. I've listened to sermon after sermon from it. And I'm not, I don't like anybody's approach to this section. Um, and so that's how it makes it difficult. So we're going to work through this. So let me just do a brief reminder to everyone. We are in a section where we're going to look at two things. All right. Everybody should remember this. First, justification explained. And then justification illustrated, right? Everybody remember that? Justification explained, justification illustrated. That, that is what we're trying to do. So that seems simple enough, right? It seems simple enough, but when you work through the way Paul writes this, there's just some things that, that leads to some difficulty. Now, what we, what we covered prior, I mean, we got into this a little bit last week. I didn't, I didn't post the sermon until like just about 10 minutes before I left for church because I kept debating on deleting it. But as soon as I delete it, I'll get 500 emails from people going, why did you delete the sermon? Well, because it was garbage. Okay, that's why. But um, so I don't know if I can improve on this, but let's try. If you remember in Romans chapter 3, starting in what verse? Where do we want to go here? Uh, we had the que- we had some uh, we had the four questions. Everybody remember the four questions, right? And then after those questions, starting in verse ten and down to verse eighteen, right? Well, or to, down to verse nineteen. What was the subject of verse ten to nineteen? Everyone is guilty. We we saw human depravity. Everyone in this room is born a sinner. Therefore, they do sinful acts. They do sinful acts. Because they are sinners, you don't. You do not become a sinner by do, committing sinful acts. You commit sinful acts because that is what you are, and because you are a sinner, right? That puts you in a very bad situation. There's a holy God. You are a sinner, and what does God do to sinners? He judges them, right? And what is the judgment? Eternal separation. Sometimes we use the term, not very popular in 2020, uh, but the word hell, right? Eternal separation from God where there is pain and suffering. Nobody wants that. 
And because of our condition, as outlined in verse 10 through 19, we're in trouble, are we not? There's no way we can please God because of our condition. That leads us to verse 19. Now we know uh, whatsoever, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Everyone is guilty. Bad news, right? Before God, right? And that leads to verse 20. Therefore, note the therefore, because everyone is guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Now, I do understand we could get into a historical theological argument that when it says by deeds of the law, that what he is referencing is Old Testament law. He is not arguing that you can't be justified by doing New Testament law. You can make that argument, but the bottom line is, based on how bad we are, I don't think any law is good. We're going to be able to keep the law. Agreed? Unless what? Unless somehow we receive something to allow us to be able to do what? Keep the law. And I will argue that whatever system of theology people have come up with going, hey, now you're a Christian and now you can do A, B, C, and D, what continues to happen to all the Christians who supposedly now have some kind of power and ability? They continue to sin, right? And therefore, no one can be justified by the deeds of the law, no matter what law. There shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Whatever law is given... Old Testament law, New Testament law. No matter the law given, what will it reveal? Sin. And no matter what law is given. In fact, you, you, can, you, can, you don't believe me, you can try it at home, right? Give three laws to a kid, three rules to a kid, okay? One rule to a kid, well, how long does it take to reveal their disobedience? Okay? And same goes for adults, Right? As a pastor, I can say, hey, we're going to do this. And then everyone does. They don't do it. Right? Okay? Which reveals disobedience, law breaking, right? That, like, not going to do it. Okay, everybody get that? So it reveals it. Now, this brings us to verse 21. Right? Now, so that is simple. Right? All the way to verse 20 is simple, easy. Okay? But that is explaining our need. Now, starting in 21 is where now justification is going to be explained. I will go back to verse 20, and I'm going to start, I'm going to, I'm just going to do my own outline. I'm going to throw out all my notes. So whatever you have written down, this may work, it may not work, but just go with me, all right? Here's the first thing. We're going to have justification explained, right? Point number one in justification explained is found in verse 20. What point should we... And I'm going to have you work through with this because I really want you to struggle with this with me. And I know you don't like that sometimes because I make you do the work, but that's okay. Uh, you, you can't be a passive listener here, so you be ready to answer, right? Verse 20. We put verse 20 in our outline of justification explained. What's the first thing explained to us about, about justification in verse 20? You cannot be justified by law-keeping. That would be point number one. Everybody got that? You cannot be justified by law-keeping. Would, would everyone say that that's what the text says? 
Yeah? Now, I understand there's arguments. I could bring in Catholic commentaries, and we could get into a long argument here, but we'll make it simple for now. Okay? We've dealt with some of the other complex issues over time, so we don't have to be as simple. To, you cannot be justified by law-keeping. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how wonderful you think you are, you cannot be justified by keeping the law. All right? Now, this is important. Now, what we can, we, I'm not, there's a, we can divert and go into a whole different direction, but we will not. Everybody got that? Now, that brings us to verse 21. Now, here's what I would say. At the end of verse 20, at the end of verse 20, Paul, Paul tends, I think this is what makes preaching Paul sometimes so difficult. Paul has a way of writing where he, he writes in a way where he, he says something and then in the next verse, he, he is responding to an objection that you don't read, but an objection that he assumes the reader will have or a question. Like there's almost a, he's answering a question that is not asked in the text, but it's assumed that you, the reader, are, is asking the question. So, for example, in, tw- in verse 20, we are told about justification that you cannot be justified by what? By keeping the law. So what should be the natural question, a good reader, how can I be justified if I can't be justified by keeping the law? That should be the question asked. Does that make sense? Well, okay, I can't be justified by keeping the law. How can I be justified? How can I be justified? Now, I could put uh, all the young people in, 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 on, in, on the spot right here, and I could have them answer for us, okay, how can you be justified without keeping the law? What, how does it happen? Well, Paul anticipates the question. And, and instead of just giving a straightforward answer, he doesn't give a straightforward answer. Right? I always tell you that that's the way you should answer questions, right? not in a straightforward way. That, y'all hate when I do that to you guys? Because what does he do in verse 21? Does he come out with a clear answer? Well, he does and he doesn't. What does he tell us in verse 21? But now, now remember, he's anticipating the question. Well, how can I be justified if I can't do it by keeping the law? But now, the righteousness of God... Now, stop right there. Why would he turn to the subject of righteousness? Okay. Does 20 say no one is declared righteous or it says no one is justified? Okay, all right. No, that's fine. That's fine. Okay, so because now the idea, what they're doing is they're kind of uh, interpreting they're adding an interpretation of justification, that justification is being to be declared righteous. Okay, well, we can go along with this. The idea is, though, to be justified before God is to be that at least God sees me as just or I'm somehow made just or, or something along these lines. So in verse 21, what he does is, okay, I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. If I can't be justified by law, and that would mean I'm living what? A righteous life. I'm obeying God, so I've, I'm being righteous, therefore I'm being justified. If I can't do it by what I do, then that means my righteousness is not going to work. So then he goes, but now something has shown up. And what has shown up? 
A righteousness. Okay. I, very good. A righteousness of God. Now, this is good. Because now, he's just contrasted two kinds of righteousness. Well, what are they? Man's righteousness that cannot justify, and then a righteousness of God. It shows up. How does it show up? Apart from the law. Everybody see that? God's righteousness shows up apart from the law. All right? Now, stop right here. What righteousness is this? Now, this is, this, there's, there's, if you read the commentary, sometimes they don't act like there's a debate, but I, I, I sometimes just get confused by how Christians approach the text, okay? I, I will argue that this righteousness is somewhat confusing, at least in verse, uh, what verse are we in? 21? It's somewhat, and, and we struggled with this last week. And I don't know, I don't know if it bothered anybody else, but it bothered me all week because I'm still having a hard time. So let me go, go with this. When, when you read that a righteous, the righteousness of God has appeared, and it appeared without the law, stop right there. Okay, and I come to you and say, okay, you're having your family devotions. I read Romans 3.21. From this verse, two things so far can be established. God's righteousness appeared, and it appeared without the law. Sound good? Okay. What, does, what, what righteousness appeared? It's God's. But, so just some, just, you know, righteousness. To see, can you see righteousness? Something tangible, doesn't it? And why, why do you think it's something tangible? Okay, we'll read the, continue reading the verse. It was witnessed. Okay, all right, well. All right, so are we speaking of righteousness just as, okay, let's, let's use righteousness in two ways, right? Okay, righteousness as, oh, well, let me do this. How would you define righteousness? Purity. Would you define righteousness as a moral state? Would that be fair? Right? It's a, it's a judgment on a, uh, it's a, mor- it's a, a, a judgment on morality or a judgment on actions. It's determining an action is right or determining an action is wrong. Right? Yes? It's a, it's a moral state. It's a, it's a judgment about action. Would that be fair? Yes? Does anybody got a dictionary? Look up righteous and see what the dictionary gives us. Y'all got a Bible dictionary nearby? Look up the word righteous. I know, I know this. I'm, once we get past this, we'll speed up a little bit, but that's okay. It's okay that we struggle with this because I know most churches don't, and that's all right. I've always said if we're not going to do things different, there's no point in even being here. We can just be like all the other churches. Okay, holy and upright living in accordance with God's standards. So righteousness deals with a moral, moral action, your action. Your action is either right or your action is wrong. Yes? So when we say that it's revealed, you see how, you see how that's so hard to, does, does that make any sense right there? The righteousness of God. God, all of God's actions are right and it just shows up, but it was witnessed to by the law of the prophets. It's hard to wrap my mind around it. Now, what some people do, and, and, and I, I didn't get into enough uh, 
commentaries, but I believe that there are, uh, some believe when it says the righteousness of God appeared, it's speaking of Christ, who has the righteousness of God because he is God incarnate. Not, it's not speaking of a nebulous idea of just righteousness, but something tangible, as Stephen said, Christ himself. All right, maybe. Now, was Christ witnessed to by the law and the prophets? Okay, definitely we can understand the prophets, or we can say the law pointed to him because he is, God is the standard of righteousness. Christ obviously maintains that standard. Yes? Maybe, all right. All right, so let's go through this. So uh, now, again, we're trying to have justification explained. All we've gotten so far is that we can't get it, okay, we can't do it by law keeping. Now, now in 21, you think there should be a point here, but I'm not going to put a point here. This is seeming to introduce the point, and here's the point. God's righteousness showed up apart from the law, and it was witnessed to by the law and the prophets. All right, everybody got that? Now, we still don't really know exactly what it looks like, so it's either just righteousness as a moral standard, or it's Jesus Christ. Okay, that doesn't help me a lot. Let's go to verse 21 and see if we get, or 22, and see if we get any uh, clues. What does verse 22 say? Even the righteousness of God. Right? So this is so it, it kind of just reemphasizes what we said in verse 21, right? Yes? Even the righteousness of God, and what occurs? Which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for thee, for there is no difference. Okay. Now this I think I think this helps us a little bit. The previous verse confuses us, but this seems to clarify it. According to this verse, this righteousness that appeared can't just be Jesus because it seems that this righteousness that shows up is connected to Jesus. Everybody see that? Yes? All right. So the righteousness that shows up is just the holy righteousness of God. He, he is holy. His holiness is manifested. And it's manifested by the law and the prophets. How the law reveals God's holiness and the prophets testify of God's holiness. But what could the law and the prophets not do? They could testify of it. They could not give it. They could testify of it. They could not give it. We've already been told in the previous verse that keeping it, you could not be justified. Yes? All right, so God's law, God's standard, God's righteousness has been revealed and it's been revealed by the law and the prophets. They witnessed and they told everyone, God is holy, 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 holy. Thou shall not do this, 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 thou shall not do that. And you see the holiness, right? Okay, but what can, it, what, what can you do? You can say, I'm going to try to keep it and by trying to keep it, can you become righteous? No, because you can never keep it perfectly. All right, so far so good. So, How does this righteousness go from something that's revealed to something that is becomes a part of you? Verse is it verse twenty-two? Okay, by read it from the NIV, uh, Stephen. It comes through. How do you get this righteousness? And Sarah said it by faith. 
or through faith. So, let's go through this. Justification explained. Number one, you cannot be justified by, by law-keeping. Number two, you get... Well, we're we're going to say this this way. You obtain the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. You obtain the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. Now, I've got to be real... You see what I'm trying to avoid here? If I'm not careful, guess what I'm going to do? I'm just going to read our, th- our theological statement, Westminster Confession or the London Baptist Confession, and I'm just going to read it into this text. And that's what almost all Christians do. They take their theology and just read it into the text instead of struggle with the text. Because verse 22 raises what question that has been a problem that was debated about all throughout church history. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, right, Unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. This righteousness, the, the King James says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, does, uh, how does the NIV says the first part of 22? Comes through. This righteousness from God comes through. Comes through, okay. Comes through, it shows up, but it's, it gets to us by faith or through faith. Now, when it says it gets to us or we obtain it, what's the question we have to ask ourselves? What does it mean that we get it? Okay. We, there's two, remember the two key words? Everybody in this church knows this. You're, you're, you're experts in church history. Imputed or infused. Remember those two words? All right. We get the righteousness. What's the difference between imputed and infused? Okay. If we take Joel and Eli, right? Okay. Joel is the infused guy. Okay? Eli is the imputed guy. All right? Okay? Now, Joel just said yay that the infused, but I don't know if he really wants to. Really, he, thinks, he thinks he wants that, but he doesn't. Okay. All right. Now, what, what does this mean? Okay, this means here's God's righteousness. It's revealed. Okay? It's, it's here. Okay? All right. Then by faith, everyone agrees it's by faith. Right? So these two put their faith all of a sudden, boom, that righteousness of God is infused inside of Joel and it's imputed to Eli. Right? Now, what's the difference between the two? He now has the righteousness of God inside of him. Right? What's with Eli? It's just accredited to him. It doesn't change him. So according to this, Joel now should be changed. He has the righteousness. He has to live it. And Eli just like, hey, I'm righteous. And Joel's going to be like, no, you're not. You're a loser. And he's like, but I'm righteous. No, you're not. You're a loser. And then, and then Eli can say, hey, you have the infused righteousness of God. You shouldn't be calling anyone a loser. Okay, right? Okay. I'm going to give him a theological argument to have. Okay. And you see the difference? If it's infused, the righteousness is inside of you. You should be righteous. If it's imputed, what? You just declared it, even though you're not it. Now, when we read this verse, what do we have a tendency to do? Everyone's going to read it based off what? Right. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ un, unto all and upon all them that deliver, uh, uh, that believe, for there is no difference. It leaves you with, what does that mean? 
Am I made righteous or declared righteous? There is a massive difference there. Does everyone understand that? Okay? Now, sometimes as Protestants, we claim we believe in imputed and then almost argue as we believe in infused. I don't think the average Protestant even understands the difference. They don't even know the difference between imputed and infused. I bet you some of you went to church probably for 20 years and never even heard the difference between imputed and infused. Okay? Now here we've only talked about it 900 bazillion times. Okay, so let's, so make sure we understand this. If, according to this, we have this righteousness of God, it's made manifest. Right? Everybody understand it? And it's manifested in the law and the prophets. How? The law shows God is holy because it gives us his standard. The prophets declare that God is holy in their preaching. Isaiah, etc. Right? But what could that not do? Didn't do anything for you except do what? Reveal that you're not. Here's God's standard. Here's Bobby. There's a major problem there, Bobby. Okay? Major. Now, can he... While we are, when we talk about justification being explained... First thing is, he cannot be justified by doing what? Keeping this law. So he's in all kinds of trouble. So what can happen? Boom! Over here, God's righteousness shows up. That's good news. right? Now how does it go from here to Bobby? By faith in Christ. And it comes upon him if he believes. Good, good news, right? Now, that, that leaves us with, okay, is it in him? Or is he simply accredited to him? Now, what's the difference? The difference is, if it's accredited to Bobby, right, by faith, then no matter what Bobby does, he's still going to be considered righteous. No matter what he does. Now, I want you to, that's hard for you to grasp because this goes against even your Protestant tendencies, right? Okay, y'all go to town this afternoon, right? Y'all go get some food, and as you're driving back, you see Bobby stumbling, you know, basically got no clothes on, stumbling around with a bottle of Jack, okay, and a, a, a couple of rocks of crack in the other hand, and he's just out there screaming stuff, and you're going to be like, well, there's Bobby. Look how righteous he is. We don't say that. What do we have a tendency to say? Let's be, what, what are the words that are going to possibly come out of our mouth? There's no way he can be saved. Now, the minute we say that, what did we just do? We're looking for infused righteousness, not an imputed. Now, I understand that makes you nervous because you're saying, well, with imputed righteousness, you say you can do whatever you want. Now, whatever, Bobby would be in sin, he would be guilty but you could not say that he did not have the imputed righteousness because the imputed righteousness does not make him righteous. Now, you're, I know what some people say. Well, if you're going to be, if, if God justifies you, he's going to sanctify you. He may sanctify you, but that doesn't mean it's going to show up in one day, right? Obviously not, because you're still going to sin. You see, sometimes we, we, we believe in imputed righteousness so much, but we argue for an infused righteous when it comes to practice. So, imputed. Now, th- does the text use imputed there or infused? No, that's the problem. What does it say? Wait, but it, it, it's how it comes to people. It uses a couple of phrases. Faith. By faith. We got that. No problem there. Yeah, keep reading. To all who believe. The King James says, upon all who believe. Mm-hmm. Upon all. Okay. To all, upon all. 
Upon, I kind of like a little, it's just upon, it's accredited, it's like, well, it doesn't use the word accredited. See, I'm reading, you see how easy it is to read your theology into it? It's almost impossible not to do so. Okay, but we can get this. It's by faith. Agreed? Okay, so what do we have so far? Justification explained. Number one, you cannot be justified by law keeping. Number two, you obtain the righteousness of God through faith. You obtain the righteousness of God through faith. So far, so good? All right. And what, what is that last phrase of verse 22? For there is no difference. What does that mean? Between Jew and Gentile. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All right. Or what is it? Another way of stating it. There's no difference in people because what, what are we justified by? God's righteousness that we acquire by faith, right? In other words, if, if, it's, if it's God's righteousness and not Bobby's righteousness, then Bobby and Mr. Goodlett, there's, there's ultimately no difference, right? I don't look at one and go, well, look at him and look at him. No, they are both righteous by faith. Does that make sense? Okay. If we're looking for something else, we could see a difference. All right. Now, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, what, what, is, uh, what is verse 23? What, is, what do you think Paul is trying to accomplish in verse 23? Yes. Yes. I think, I think this is simply uh, clarifying or adding to the idea that there is no difference. And what does it mean? No, no, there's no difference in two ways. What are the two ways that there's no difference? Both are sinners. Now, we, we, we like to draw a distinction in sin, Right? Well, Bobby did this, but Mr. Goodlett didn't. But they're still sinners. And what's another way where there's no difference? Right, well, that would be the idea that they're sinners. Back up. There's no difference if they believe in Christ. They're both declared righteous. Doesn't matter on action. This argues for an imputed, not an infused. If it's infused, would there be a difference? Yeah. Correct? Yes? Okay. So I think I th- I'm, I'm just going to make that argument there. So he doesn't really give us anything else about justification. He's just reminding us of our sin. Now, what does he do in verse 24? Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay. Remember, justification explained. What's the first point we learned about justification explained? Can't be justified by law keeping. Number two, we obtain righteousness. Through faith in Christ. Number three, there's a lot of things we get from this verse. I know some would summarize all of these. I'm not going to summarize these. What do we get in verse 24? What's the first thing? We're justified freely. Put that down. We are justified freely. We are justified freely. Okay? What does it mean freely? Okay. Free on whose part? Our part. It's free. It's free. We don't earn it. You can't get it. There's nothing you can do. So far, so good. Next thing. Well, there's a two, three words before that. By his grace. We are justified freely. We are justified by grace. What does it mean by grace? What's, what's the a typical definition of grace? The unmerited... Favor 
of God, the unmerited favor of God. It's by grace. You cannot earn it. You can't do anything to get it. Now, if you don't do anything to earn it, you don't do anything to get it, then what does that seem to imply? You can't do anything to lose it. Now, this is where the Protestant world, again, struggles, right? Now, go, because this is what we always say. And remember, this is why we spent so much time on this in Romans 2.6. Romans 2.6 says we're going to be judged according to our works. And this creates all kinds of problems, right? And so, what do most Protestants do? The simple answer is, well, yeah, Bobby's going to be justified or judged according to his works because his works will prove that he's saved. Well, wait a minute. How can I prove that I'm saved if I'm saved by an imputed righteousness? Because now you're going to say, I'm, I, I prove that I'm saved by doing righteousness, which would make an argument for what kind of justification? Infused. Protestants literally argue against their own theology. I remember I listened to like, how many sermons? Churches, all kinds of churches in Abilene, Baptist churches all over, preaching on Romans 2. And I'm like, I was just sitting there going, you're arguing against your very doctrine. Hey, you know what? When you die, you're going to be judged according to your works, and your works are going to prove you're saved. Well, how can my works prove I'm saved if I'm saved by an imputed righteousness? Whose works would prove that I'm saved? That are imputed to my account. And, and I'm like, these would be Baptist churches that we would, in, in theory, be in agreement with. At least in theory. And, and I'm like, you're wrong. One of them was Southside Baptist Church. I'm like, No! That is a debt that we, what are you doing? You literally are arguing for an infused righteousness. Now, they, they would claim they're not. But if I say, hey, Bobby, when you, when you die, you better have a lot of good works. Because if you don't have good works, then you're not saved. You prove you're not saved. Well, then that proves that God gave Bobby a righteousness. And what did Bobby have to do with it? Cooperate. And when he gets to heaven, then it gets proven if he's saved. And so we came with a whole different argument, right? No. I will be judged according to works. The works that's been imputed or accredited to my account. And guess how good those works are? That's good. Because my works aren't always perfect. Neither are yours. You're all looking at me going, yeah, we're, we're so glad Pastor got that imputed righteousness. Because, okay, okay. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, you're in the same boat, okay? You may think you're not, but you're in the same boat, okay? And I know because you're not wrestling fans, which prove you're, you're three seconds away from hell, okay? All right, so, so that, that, that right there proves it, okay? Because your actions prove whether you are saved or not, correct? Right? See how that works? All right. So you get the idea. So how are we justified? So let's go through this again, this verse again. How are we justified? Number one, freely. Number two, by his grace. If it's free and it's grace, then what cannot be required? Works. Now, works cannot be required for what? For salvation. Now, I'm going to argue if you make them required to prove salvation, you're literally working your way right back into an infused righteousness. You're literally working your way right back into it. And remember, and, and, and this comes from someone who believed in the lordship view and held it and preached it here. That you, you're, but at some point you, you realize, wait a minute, I'm, I'm sounding like I'm Catholic. And that's why some argue that the lordship view is a Catholic view. Now, MacArthur would lose it if he heard me say that. 
But I, when you listen to him, when, you, when we, we looked at his evidences, right? Here's all the evidence you have to have to prove you're saved. Okay? Well, if you look at that evidence, number one, either I'm not going to, either they have to backtrack and say, well, you're not going to meet all of these evidences perfectly. Well, then what's the point of the evidence? Or number two, I'm going to make the way you're going to be saved is by my works. And he's like, well, I'm not saying you're saved by your works, but your works prove that you're saved. But if I don't have my works, I'm not saved. Well, then get, that's not free. That's not imputed. And that's not by grace. Now, I know I'm going to be accused of being easy believism. I'm not trying to believe, be easy believism. I'm trying to be, here's, I'm not trying to get into the argument, are you easy believism or are you lordship? I'm trying to get into the argument, I got to be, I've got to be fair to the text. And the text tells me that I am justified not by law keeping, right? I am, how else am I justified? I receive righteousness by faith. And if I receive that righteousness and it's imputed to me, then I don't need to do anything. And then I'm, I'm justified freely by grace. And then the third thing, it's in that verse. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What do we mean by redemption? His work on the cross, right? So, I am redeemed freely on my part. I'm redeemed by, I'm justified by grace, but I am justified through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I am justified because of what Christ did. His death, burial, and resurrection. If Christ, yeah, I mean, everything, the redemption is everything he did. Everything. Look, uh, look up in the Bible dictionary and uh, see if there's an entry for redemption, the word redemption. It may say see the word redeemed. I don't know. Let's look at it real quick. Look up the word redemption. If you find it, give the page number so everybody can look. <laughs> you should see the emails we always get. You have people look up in a Bible dictionary? Yeah, I do. Okay. Just, they're like, your church is so weird. Okay. 1073. What, at the very beginning, I think they possibly give us like a simple definition of redemption. Deliverance by payment of a price. Deliverance by payment of a price. Oh. Okay, so here's the thing. You are in a bad situation because of your sin, right? You're in a bad situation. You're, you are guilty before God. You are a sinner. You're going to be condemned by God. You're going to spend an eternity in hell unless someone redeems you, but it's going to cost something. Now, we've already been told we're justified freely. So the cost can't be mine. So whose cost? Christ. And what did it cost? His death, burial, resurrection. His life. Let's go, yeah, I think to, to be theologically correct, because we always tend to, to short, it's his life, yeah, and, that, and his life will go with just, well, we're summarizing all that. Life, death, burial, resurrection. You need his life, not just his death. Because a lot of times Christians say, well, Jesus came to die. He had to come to live first because I needed him to keep the law on my behalf because I can't keep it. All right, so he, now I'm sounding like a Lutheran, okay? Now, now I'm going all Lutheran on everybody, okay? But that's... If it's right, it's right. Yep. Okay. Everybody got that? 
Right? So, we are justified freely. We're justified by grace. And how else are we justified? Through a redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So far, so good? Now, that's good news. Now, who's, who's out of this right now? We're out of this completely, right? Other than faith. And we will argue that God's got to give us the faith to believe in self, that we can't have faith on our own. That gets into a whole different theological argument, okay? Here, they're just making the point. So, where are we? Now, please note, if we go back to Joel and Eli, the infused one, the infused one's got to be doing stuff. He gets the righteousness and he's got to cooperate with it. He's got to do and he's got to do and he's got to do and he's got to do. Eli's just sitting back, just... He's good. Now, I know that I'm going to hear all these emails. Are you telling me a Christian doesn't have to do anything? I'm saying that when it comes to justification, faith, boom, righteous. That's what the text says. Now, Paul is going to anticipate the objections from this. And he's going to say that we should not be able to live in sin and we shouldn't live in sin. Okay? But the justification part seems to be pretty straightforward and clear. Now, how, how our works come into play, we, it cannot, put it this way, wherever works come in, they cannot contradict the clear teaching on justification. That's the point we have to work on. Yes? Okay. So far, so good. All right? Now, where does the text continue? All right. Verse 25 is going to do what? It's going to build on this idea that we are justified by redemption through Christ. Right? Everybody see that? And look, whom God, who is the whom? Jesus Christ, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. Stop right there. Look up the word propitiation in your Bible dictionary. This is a word that everyone needs to have down. Anyone who claims to be a Christian needs to have the word propitiation down. In fact, I will look this one up with you. Yeah, well, let's not worry about what the NIV says, okay? Okay, all right. Because, no, if we throw out this, this is where, uh, that's why some people get really mad at the NIV, because uh, you can't throw out this word here, okay? Do we have a uh, 1040? Let's see what they do here. I'm nervous because I, I haven't looked at this, but we'll see. Propitiation, everybody see it? All right, propitiation, the atoning death of Jesus on the cross through which he paid the penalty demanded by God because of people's sin, thus setting them free from sin and death. The word means appeasement, right? Thus propitiation expressed the idea that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for sin that a holy God demanded. All right? So to... the fact that he was the propitiation, let me explain what this means, okay, how we understand this. God is just, holy, and righteous. And because he's holy, just, and righteous, if he, his holiness demands what? Punishment. Justice. Okay? Now, here's the situation. Either you are going to be the one who pays it, 
right? God's going to pour out his wrath upon you to pay it, to appease it. And how long is that going to take? Forever in hell. Hmm, I don't like that system. Do you like that system? Okay, you, you may, okay, but I don't like it, right? Or someone else can appease. Someone else can pay it. So in a sense, God pours out his wrath on Jesus, who is the propitiation. In other words, he is what? The payment or the one who appeases the wrath of God. So on the cross, Jesus experiences in a roundabout way. Now, we got to be careful here not to, be th- to take it too far. But in a roundabout way, he experiences all the wrath of God that would be poured out on you in hell, and he experiences it through those hours on the cross. That's when he talked about the cup. Let this cup pass, because that cup contained the full wrath of God, and Jesus was to drink every drop. Now think about it. If he's appeased God's wrath, as the propitiation, then what wrath is left for me? been appeased satisfied everybody see the, how what the word propitiation is that he appeased that he p- paid in full in fact let's read the rest of the definition here the propitiation expresses the idea that jesus died on the cross to pay the price for the sin that a holy god demanded although jesus was free of sin he took all our sins upon himself and redeemed us from the penalty of death that our sins demanded as the writer of first john declared he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the whole world now we got to be careful with that whole world thing because that leads to some major problems all right everybody understand that if he, if he was the propitiation for the whole world, then you either have, well, no one has any, they, nobody goes to hell, you end up with universalism, leads to a whole problem. Or what does he mean by whole world? We could get into a whole discussion. But the bottom line is, here's the thing. How am I, think of, let's, let's add another point. Let's add another point to our list here of, of our justification explained. So let's go through them again for, uh, for memory's sake. All right, what's the first thing we learned about justification this morning? Cannot be justified by the law. Everybody got it? By law keeping. Number two, we obtain righteousness by faith in Christ. Everybody got that? Number three, we're justified freely. Number four, by grace. Number five, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All right? Now, I'm going to do this. Um, We are justified through the propitiation in the blood of Christ. All right, and there's a lot more I could say there, but that's fine. We'll stop right there. Okay. Now, how am I justified by propitiation? I am justified because of why? Well, I'm justified because... All of God's wrath that would have been directed at me has been appeased on Christ. All the wrath that was directed at me went to Christ. He drunk all of God's wrath. He appeased the wrath of God, so therefore I can stand before God justified. There's no more wrath left for me. Now, I, and this is a very important principle 
Um, sometimes Christians, sometimes uh, when Christians say this, and, you, and we, we will probably get into this more in the book of Romans, but let me just express this. When uh, if someone asks you, if you were to ask someone, what did Jesus save you from? Sometimes we say Jesus saved us from sin or from hell. He saved us from God. Who, who do we need to be saved from? The wrath of God. Who was mad at us? God. Jesus had to appease the wrath of God by taking it all upon himself. This is where I, I get so irritated. Like, um, I don't know if you've been watching all the controversy on our YouTube channel, but it's been crazy uh, because every, I guess there's like a, I, when we were on Sermon Audio, you know, you have a Christian audience, okay, um, who I guess was all similar theologically to some degree. But man, you get on the world of YouTube, wackiness is out there, right? So every non-Trinitarian in the world, I guess, is this, well, that's a hyperbole, but a lot of non-Trinitarians have found us. And it's like, you're trying to argue with these non-Trinitarians, and you're just like, what? I, I don't understand. Christians have been Trinitarians forever. And they're like, no, it was made up. It's, you know, it's like, well, okay, why even, I'm not even gonna, trying to even argue with you. Who's Jesus? Now, a Jesus that's not God can't save me because he, a man can't appease the, well, he's the first created, like, I don't know where you go with it, but the Father is clearly God, and Jesus has to be clearly God because he has to do a couple of things. Number one, he has to be absolutely holy. He has to be absolutely sinless. He has to be able to forgive me of my sins, which only God can forgive sins, according to the Old Testament. Okay, right? And he has to take on the entire wrath of God upon himself. Well, how can just... No, that has to be... Only God can save us from himself. Right? And so then you have to have a Trinitarian concept because Jesus is clearly was with the Father in the beginning was the Word, was with God. I can't explain that. So the Trinitarian formula comes along and says, okay, one God, three distinct persons. And they're like, well, those terms don't come from the Bible, so you can't use them. Oh, my goodness. The, the concept is in the Bible. It has to be. The Father is God. Jesus is obviously declared to be God. And the Holy Spirit clearly has the attributes of God because he's eternal, holy, omnipresent, powerful. Right? That's three. So I end up with either three gods where the Bible says I can't have three gods because there's only... So one God, three persons. They're like, well, persons in essence, those are words not used in the Bible. I know they're not used in the Bible because we had to come up with terms to explain what the Bible was teaching. It's like... It's just crazy when you argue with people like this. But when it comes to Jesus, you see, he's got to be more than just a man. Because where do I get my righteousness from? Through faith in him. And then he appeases the wrath of God. I mean, it just drives me crazy. But for for our purpose, because I, I would like to get into the whole Trinitarian thing, but it's like, I'm just, I don't even know where to argue with these people. It's like, you know, because, because this is where, when you argue with these people, I don't want to get too far off track, but I just, this is why I get so frustrated with the sola scriptura concept, because these are the people taking the sola scriptura concept where I say sometimes Protestants don't realize it leads us into this problem, because they're like, hey, unless I find in the Bible the definition that says one God, three distinct persons, one essence, 
I'm not going to believe it because it's not in the Bible. That's sola scriptura taking to the point that that's where the Catholics warned us it would happen. Because you're now looking like you've got to use this exact language. And so they'll say, I only believe what the Bible specifically states. And their theology is this broken mess. And you're like, what is that? It's scripture alone. I don't follow those councils, creeds, and the, and, and the Catholic Church. We're pure. I'm like, well, okay. You know, because if you go with that, you see how broken your theology, you can't really define who Jesus is, can you? Because I can't use the hypostatic union definition. I can't use the Chalcedonian, I can't use the Chalcedonian definition, which is the hypostatic union. I, you see how broken it is? But that, that gets into a whole discussion. But when it comes to justification, I am trying to be very sola scriptura right here. Okay, because I'm not because I wanted to just I could just throw out the Westminster LBC London Baptist and give us a definition. But this is kind of building the definition. Right. All right. So let's review and it will be done. Right. We are justified. How? Not by law keeping. Number two. By faith in Christ Jesus, we obtain righteousness. Make sure you have all of that down. We obtain righteousness by faith in Christ. Okay. All right. Next. We're justified completely freely. Isn't that good? I got no money in my pocket. I got nothing. I, I remember the, the whole, I, we don't know if it's true or not, but there's that argument when Luther died that they found in a pocket a little note basically saying, I'm a beggar, you know, because he's a beggar before God. There's, I, I've, I have nothing to do with God freely. Okay. okay. Next, by grace, through redemption in Christ Jesus and and through propitiation. I know that's, that's part of the redemption, but I separated it just because I want you to really understand propitiation. What is propitiation? God appeased the wrath of God by taking it all upon himself so that there's no wrath left for you. Isn't that good news? There's no wrath left for you. None. It's all gone. I don't have to ever worry about God's wrath. That's, that's good. It's all, it's all, the cup is empty. Now, if, 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 you don't, if you're not in Christ, then all that wrath is coming on you, and that's not going to be pretty. That's, that's not going to be good. All right, we'll have to stop right there. There's a lot more in that verse. Okay, did that, did that help cl- maybe a little bit, hopefully? I hope so. I, I, I've, I tried my best. I, I still I just don't... I just don't know the best way to, uh, to uh, handle this text, so I'm doing my best here. It's just very methodical, analytical. It's very Paul, right? Here's one point. I make the next point. I anticipate your rege- uh, re- objection. I counter your objection. And it's like how to preach it is very difficult. But I, I did my best right there, and hopefully um, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. All right. I hate the fact that I'm going to... Uh, have a break because by the time we come back from the break, yeah, I won't even remember who Paul is, much less who the book of Rome, what the book of Romans is, and so, you know, okay. So, but I'll, we'll, we'll do, I'll, we'll do something. All right. Just remember, Joel is the infused guy. Eli is the imputed guy. So the, the parents, you need to expect more out of Joel. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. For the goodlets, you don't need to expect anything out of Eli, okay? You just, no expectation, no, no expectation, <laughs> right? So he was all excited at first, wasn't he? I'm the infused guy, yeah, this is good, yeah. No, it's not, okay, okay.
right? All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, a very important doctrine, a very important, uh, a very important lesson. I pray that um, borrowing from our Sunday school lesson that this will not prove to be in vain, but there will be something good that comes from this and that our understanding of this will have deepened greatly. And I pray that you'll help us remember and think about this. And when we return to the book of Romans, I pray that we can uh, really just dig in more and really get more out of this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.